I've recently finished reading Stolen Focus by Johan Hari. Uh, it's a fascinating book. It's all about why it's getting so much harder to focus in a deep and sustained way. Uh, Hari quotes some studies uh, on American college students uh, and they had found that the uh, average college student in this study focused on a single task for a total of, on average, 65 seconds. Right? Uh, and before we, uh, who aren't students, start feeling smug about ourselves, uh, they also looked at office workers uh, and the average time for an office worker was uh, just three minutes. Uh, right, so not a lot of uh, long focus on one task. Uh, Hari actually identifies 12 different causes that are stealing our focus, he says, and one of them that he identifies is the constant distractions and interruptions that we receive through our phones and computers. Messages and email notifications, uh, calendar alerts, social media updates, uh, all clamouring for our attention. How can we focus and think deeply when we're, our lives really are constantly interrupted by a thousand different voices? I know it leaves lots of us feeling harried and distracted, maybe agitated. It's hard to relax when you're on edge waiting for the next update. And it's hard to make sense of everything that's going on in a complex world when you hardly have a moment to pause and stop and reflect. But on Sunday evening, we do a strange thing. We get together and we set aside at least half an hour just to simply sit and listen as the scriptures are read and a sermon is preached on those scriptures. It's often a monologue. It's rarely interactive. We expect each other to give our full focus without interruption to listening to God's word together. Now, I'm as guilty as the next person of a sneaky check of my phone during the sermon, except when I'm preaching, I try and draw the line somewhere. But can you see how out of step we are with our culture here, right? To, to try and simply sit here and listen in this sustained way. Where's the collaboration and the dialogue? Where's the interaction? Uh, tonight's the final week in our Church for Life series. We've been reflecting on the the formative habits of worship, the things we do with our bodies together at church and how they shape us and help us to live for God's glory uh, through the week. And today we're reflecting on why we listen to God's word, right? which is in fact something we do with our bodies as well, isn't it? It might feel a bit less active than some of those other things like singing, but it is something we, we do with our bodies. I want to tackle this uh, question of listening to God's word with, in two parts. Uh, firstly, why listen to God's word particularly? Uh, and then secondly, we'll think about why listen to God's word. Why God's word and then why listen? Uh, so firstly, why should we listen to, to God's word particularly? Amongst all the different voices that we could listen to, why prioritise listening to God's word? Uh, we all know the benefits of listening to diverse voices broadening our horizons, showing respect and inclusion to others, hearing different perspectives. But why don't we do that at church? And what impact does it have on us that we constantly sit and listen, not to the confusing multitude of many competing voices, but 
we prioritise the voice of God in the scriptures, the, the author of the scriptures. And of course I should acknowledge that actually there are diverse human voices as well in the scriptures spanning a thousand years and different cultures around Africa, Asia and Europe. One of those uh, human voices is Isaiah, a prophet in the 700s BC in Judah. Uh, He's warning God's people that God is going to judge them for their sin and send them into exile. And then he also offers a word of hope for those people in exile in the future. And that's uh, part of what we hear here in chapter 55 that Tash read for us. Uh, and have a look, we're going to jump in at verse 10 and 11 from our passage today. It shows us something really interesting about God's word. Uh, Sarah, I wonder if we can uh, flick up verse 10 uh, of Isaiah 55. Thanks. Uh, verse 10 says, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So can you see the picture here? Rain comes down and doesn't simply disappear. It has an impact on the world. It it waters the earth, it sustains plants and indeed all of life. When I was young, we lived up in North Queensland and we'd sometimes come down to uh, Victoria and visit my grandparents' farm that's just outside Benella. Uh, But for whatever reason, we always came in winter. And so whenever we saw the farm, it was lush and green and and muddy. Um, And that was my picture of their farm. So you can imagine my surprise when we actually moved to Melbourne and I went there for the first time in summer and it was dry and yellow and the ground was uh, baked hard. Rain makes a real difference, doesn't it? And that's the the picture going on here. God's word is like this. It's not simply spoken and forgotten, but it has an impact on the world. It brings change. God speaks with purpose and he achieves that purpose. In my final year here at Ridley, I worked on a project for my master's degree, did lots of reading, lots of writing, about 16,000 words. Uh, which are all now sitting in a lovely little manuscript up on my bookshelf. And I can probably count on one hand the number of people that have read that project. Right? Maybe some of you (laughs) are in a similar position with projects you've done. But God's word is not like that. It has an impact on the world. It accomplishes what he desires. It achieves the purpose for which he sent us. It's not just a dusty thesis sitting on a shelf. It's, it's more like the script of a play, right? A script initiates movement and action as the, the characters, that's, that's us, as, as we play our part in it. As, as God, the, the author and the director of this play, speaks his script to us and prompts us in what to do and how to conduct ourselves. God's word is like this drama and we're called to play our part faithfully in it. But of course we can't do that unless we listen to the scriptures, we listen to the script. And just like a character is dead without the script, so we are left thirsty and starving without God's word 
that's the picture in verse 1 of Isaiah. Verse 1 started, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labour on what does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. God calls the poor and the hungry to come and feast with him, to, to listen to him. Listen to him and you will feast on the richest of fare. C.S. Lewis says that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. God's word beckons us to feed and be satisfied, not with anything in this world, not with the bread that does not satisfy, but with God himself. An everlasting covenant in verse 3, he says. That's a committed, enduring relationship. God's word feeds the hungry without cost. Uh, by giving us a deep and lasting relationship with God. God's word feeds the hungry. And secondly, we see that God's word also reconciles the lost. So if today you're far from God, right, you're feeling the distance, maybe you've got an issue with God, you're not happy with him because of something he's done or something he hasn't done for you, then God's word is calling to you. Verse 6 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. God is not standing far off waiting for you to do all the hard work and mend the rift. He is near. He's close at hand calling out to you. He's waiting for us to respond. Seek the Lord while he may be found. So when we listen to God's word and respond to it, we begin to be reconciled to God. And then in verse 7, God's word offers mercy to the guilty. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon When we listen to God's word and respond to it, we find mercy and forgiveness. Because what ultimately stands between us and God is not just distance or hunger. It's our sin. It's our willful rebellion against God, our refusal to treat him as the creator who gives us life and sustains our every breath. Our refusal to treat him as God. And yet through his word, God calls to us. He offers mercy and forgiveness. Repent, he says, turn away from your wickedness. Find mercy and forgiveness in God. God's word offers mercy to the guilty. So as we listen to God's word, that means we're both convicted of sin. We we realise more clearly than ever before how far short we fall of God's ideal but we also find a balm for our conscience. We find assurance that 
whatever we've done and whatever we've failed to do, whatever you've done, whatever you have failed to do, God's mercy is enough. There is forgiveness for you. There's a fresh start with God. As we listen to God's word, we find mercy for our guilt. And so we can rejoice. We can rejoice with all of creation, that picture in verse 12 and 13, because as God's word feeds the spiritually hungry, he reconciles the lost and brings mercy to the guilty, the creation finds restoration. It's this joyful final scene in God's play. Right? All of God's world flourishes and celebrates. Just as God spoke his word to create the world in the beginning, so his word restores and redeems the whole creation. And friends, this is why we listen to God's word particularly. Because only his word can feed the hungry. Only his word can reconcile the lost. Only his word can forgive the guilty and bring restoration to the whole creation. That's our hope. Any other script we might follow will not lead to God's happy ending. Well then why listen? Why listen particularly? If God's word is so powerful and can achieve all of this, why do we need to to listen and give our focus and attention? Can't God's word just do it whether we're paying attention or not? Well, 700 years after Isaiah, God's people are still waiting to see exactly how this drama is going to play out, how how God's word will be resolved. Where's this play heading? How's God going to deliver on his promises? And we find Jesus teaching the crowd in Mark 4. He's by the edge of the lake and there's so many people, he's getting backed into the lake and he ends up on the boat with the crowd at the water's edge. And he tells us uh, why listening to God's word is so important. Not just to kind of hear it and let it wash around us, but uh, like we would so many other voices, but to actually take it to heart, to give our full attention to it. And firstly, he warns us about three ways not to listen. He says, don't be like the seed scattered on the path. People who hear the word, uh, but then maybe they forget it. It's snatched away. They ignore it, maybe. Jesus says Satan snatches it away and it goes no further. Maybe your good intentions to read the Bible remain just that. Good intentions. Because you never quite find the time or something comes up. But friends, God's word is too precious for that. Jesus says we need to treasure it, value it. Don't let it be snatched away from you. Secondly, he says, beware a shallow engagement with God's word. When the tough times come, we need to have deep roots, don't we? It's not enough just to have that initial enthusiasm. What about when suffering comes? What about when you get sick? When your parents die? When tragedy strikes? We need deep roots in God's word. Maybe you face rejection. Your, your friends can't stomach your faith. 
you realise that being faithful to Jesus will put you at odds with your whole workplace. We need to search the scriptures in these moments and in fact before these moments to be prepared. We need to go deep in God's word, keep coming back to it. A surface level understanding will only get us so far. Deep roots take time and commitment and we need those deep roots for the tough times. Thirdly, Jesus warns, don't be like the seed that's sown among the thorns. Thorns grow up and choke the word. Uh, He says, beware competing desires, the the lure of wealth and, and other worldly pursuits. You might still have God's word there in your life, Jesus says, but it's not fruitful because there are just so many other priorities going on. Maybe it's holidays or work or entertainment that are all crowding it out. Or maybe it's not fruitful because every time you sit down and open the Bible app on your phone, you're constantly bombarded by those notifications and you hardly even get three minutes alone with God without your boss or or Mark Zuckerberg interrupting your time with God. Instead, Jesus says, there are those who, like good soil, hear the word, accept it and produce a crop of good fruit 30, 60, 100 times what was sown. In an agricultural society, this is a beautiful picture of absolute abundance. Plenty. We take God's word to heart. We come and feast on his good food for us. We find mercy and grace. We find that deep relationship with God who knows us intimately and loves us profoundly. But maybe for you, like for me, this picture isn't always the reality. Yeah, we we read God's Word together on Sunday. We go to small group and uh, we're working through the books of the Bible systematically and the preaching and our small group studies. Uh, We discuss it and share about it. But sometimes going deep with God in your own time just doesn't happen. Or you set aside time and try and take God's Word to heart, but... Maybe you get distracted, things come up or it's hard to understand and you can't see the relevance for your life. And pretty soon maybe we feel guilty and burdened because we know that we're meant to read God's word and love it but it doesn't always feel like that. God says his word brings mercy but we're left feeling guilty and like a failure. And then you see a post from a friend on Facebook, a photo of their quiet time, nicely curated at the cafe. They're on track to read the Bible in a year. Aren't they awesome? Right? There's actually a problem with both these attitudes, isn't there? Because both are actually centred on ourselves and our own efforts. Right? Whether it's look how good I'm doing at reading the Bible or whether it's, oh no, I'm a failure because I'm not. It's both about our own efforts. Listening to God's word is important but it's not a religious requirement, a box for us to tick like it's a spiritual milestone to achieve and say, well, look how good I am. God has to love me now. And when we fall short, it doesn't undermine his love for us. 
not something we just have to try harder with. We don't need to attain superhuman powers of concentration or put aside all our regular responsibilities in our quest to listen to God's word. Why not? Because God's word is not far off and inscrutable. It's not hidden and obscure and distant. No, in fact, God's word became flesh and dwelt among us. God was not content just to speak from a distance to us. He wasn't content just to give us a script and guide us. No, God himself entered into the play. He stepped onto the stage in the person of Jesus Christ. And he stepped onto the stage for a particular purpose. God's word does not return to him empty. He achieves his purpose. Remember how in Isaiah God says, come, eat and drink for free. Well, God's word comes in the flesh to pay the price for our feast. God says, come and find mercy and forgiveness. God's word comes in the flesh to bear the cost of our guilt on the cross. To offer us that free forgiveness and mercy. He comes to bring God near so that we're not searching in vain. The word of God, Jesus Christ, came and did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And the more we trust what he's done for us, the more we open our hearts to him, then the more we find ourselves longing to dwell in his word, the more we find life and fruitfulness and joy as we listen to God's word together. So when we come together, we don't listen to the scriptures simply out of duty or compulsion or because it's what we've always done. We listen because in the scriptures we meet with Christ and in Christ we find all we need. In John, in chapter 6, Jesus has just finished some really challenging teaching. He's basically just had a crack at everything his audience holds dear. Even some of his disciples start to say, this is a hard teaching, who can accept it? Jesus knows there's grumbling going on, but he doesn't back down and many people turn away from following him. He turns to his closest 12 disciples and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you and praise you that you are the word of God, that you have words of eternal life. Thank you that in you, in the word of God, we find fulfilment, we find mercy, we find hope in the scriptures because we find you. Please help us to listen deeply, not out of compulsion or guilt, but because we delight in knowing you, Lord.
We delight in thinking your thoughts after you and walking your paths. Please do help us to set aside those distractions and other priorities that would cause your word to be unfruitful in us. Help us to centre our life on your word, to find our life in you. Amen.